0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Season 5 of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in The Cozy Corner. Welcome, Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Erica Ruth Neubauer joins me in the corner today to chat about Danger on the Atlantic, a Jane Wonderly mystery. Welcome, Erica.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Alexia.
0: Danger on the Atlantic is the fourth Jane Wonderly mystery. So what adventure is Jane sailing into this time?
1: Well, um, this time... It is so the we left off with um, murder at Wedgefield Manor, where they were in England um, dealing with some family issues and a murder on an estate. It was a manor house mystery. And so, in this one, we are um, they're cruising across the North Atlantic and they are both looking for a German spy, and she is trying to help a woman who essentially is being gaslit on the boat.
0: Now, as, as you mentioned, your story is set on an ocean liner crossing from uh, across the Atlantic from Southampton to New York. Yes. Uh, now, while the ship, the Olympic, is certainly more mobile than a, a, you know, a snowbound English country house or an isolated island. The murder on a ship does still kind of pay homage to the classic mystery theme of a group of people trapped someplace with the murderer. So how, how do you kind of play with this theme to make it your own?
1: Um actually I've done it in all, all of the books so far, to be honest, I really enjoy, I really enjoy that aspect of the traditional mystery. Um, I like having all of your characters kind of confined to one area um, and sort of in forced proximity to each other. Um, and I think the way I, the way I play with it and make it my own is, is a lot with with the setting I think, and each setting has been super different. Um, we had Egypt, we had England and now on the Atlantic Um Yeah. Now, this this story's action takes
0: place in 1926. Speaking of classic mysteries, this is a year that falls in that, what we often call the the golden age of crime fiction, that period between the two world wars. Uh, We get a lot of the now classic crime writers like Agatha Christie, Josephine Tay, Niall Marsh, just to name a few. So how did the classics of crime fiction, uh, at least that sort of uh, crime fiction of that period, influence Danger on the Atlantic?
1: um they have been a huge influence on on my entire series actually I grew up watching um old Agatha Christie movies and um and reading the books when I was probably middle school I read a lot of the old Agatha Christie um in later years I read a bunch of like Niall Marsh and the Dorothy Sayers um and some of the men as well but um yeah that that whole that whole era of both books and, um, you know, Masterpiece Mystery, all of those set in the 20s were a huge influence on me. And for this book also, um, I took some, I was also influenced by the movie um, Dangerous Crossing. It's a noir movie from the 40s um, is where I got some of my ideas.
0: I'm not familiar with that one.
1: Yeah, it's little known. Um, it's, it's in black and white, but it's pretty good. Is it called Dangerous Crossing? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of a tie in for folks who want to watch a movie to go with the book, right? <laughs> and I want to stir up a controversy here. Uh, who's your favorite Marple?
1: Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, I can't remember her name. It was, um, I'm actually gonna look it up. What's your favorite Marple? Do you have one?
0: Hi, between uh geraldine uh let's see, geraldine McEwen and julia mckenzie they were the two who
1: played Marple on the bbc series yes that is exactly what i i just looked it up and mine is um mine is the first one mine is geraldine McEwan.
0: and i know it's that's controversial because most people say joan hickson who played her back in the the 80s or 90s but i have to admit that the two more modern ones are, are kind of tied for my favorite.
1: Same. I really liked, because I, I watched a lot of those in the 80s, but I really liked the update. Um, I thought they did a really nice job.
0: Now, um, going back to uh, cruise ships, the, the transatlantic crossing between Southampton and New York, um, and also, you know, in the other direction, is, is actually an iconic voyage. Um, you can still actually make that crossing uh, on the Cunard line ship, the Queen Mary 2. Yep, I did that. Uh, Oh, cool. I'm, I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've booked one for next year, when um, you've already been, so I'm, I'm like totally jealous now. <laughs> um, um, yeah,
1: What was your trip like? It was, you know what? I would not recommend doing it at the time of year that I did it. Um, I tried to do because it was a research trip, so I tried to do it as close to when the book actually happened, which was like November late September, like November. Um, and it is a rather unpleasant time to be on the North Atlantic. Um, it is cold and it's windy and the, it's mostly gray and uh, the boat does a lot of rocking. So I would, you know, I would recommend doing it sometime in the summer. Maybe when you can like take advantage of the pools. Although the I did pets.
0: read uh, an advantage of going during that time where you can save money by not getting the balcony cabin because you're not going to go out on your balcony anyway.
1: That is true. Yeah, there is no, there's not much point in going on in your balcony. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, um, you can also do what what I'm actually doing is I booked a, a special vintage style crossing through oh. a company that that specializes in vintage cruises, um, Ahoy Vintage Cruises, I should say, and they're having bands like uh, the Dandy Wellington Orchestra for, is the one that I'm going to hear, and so they kind of create the the same type of music similar to what Jane might have listened to, but you know, similar to is not exactly the same as. Right. And so, you know, you did a, you did a research trip on the, on the modern ship, but how did you get, how did you recreate the flavor of what it would actually have been like in 1926, as opposed to, you know, 2000s when you've got internet and things like that?
1: Right. Um, also, that sounds amazing, Alexia, your trip, that sounds great. I'm so Ooh. looking forward to it. Right? Oh my gosh. Um, You know, I, I actually approach research for these um, kind of all the same ways that I start reading a lot of books about um, about like the period and about the setting. Um, so for Danger on the Atlantic, I found a bunch of books um, about um, about the uh, the Olympic and found a lot of pictures um, from like of the interior of the Olympic around from the 1920s. Um, one of the books had like great and like, they had like later periods too, but like had great photographs and illustrations of what the ship actually looked like during that time period. Um, and I also read, um, some books that were written by like a, um, a ship captain who did captain large ships during that period, just to kind of get an idea of what, like what it was like, um, and how the crew and like the passengers might've interacted um so yeah i do a lot of like straight up reading for research um which i find really fun
0: but i mean i didn't know the olympic was a real ship so that's that's pretty cool that you have like a real ship in the book
1: it is it's the sister to the titanic actually um so it was built almost i think it was built identically to the titanic except after the titanic sank they did updates to um to like the the bulk, I don't know, the bulwark down below, um, they updated it to kind of compensate for the problems that the Titanic had, which was why it sank.
0: Make it more, more iceberg proof. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now now the the other thing that I suspect, you know, is, is, is real is that you have, um, Jane and on board ship searching for German spies. Now, this is 1926, which is well before World War II. So German espionage is something that we might not realize was going on, but probably was, I'm guessing. So what what was Germany up to in the late 20s that they were spying on people?
1: Um, This was actually sparked because I read that um, I was looking for, I was just looking for something that would, be relevant for that time period um for, for like that a spy would want and i re- i learned that um robert goddard who was a um a scientist in the oh, yeah. States, goddard, goddard face goddard space flight center exactly in the, in the 1920s he did the first um rocket-fueled like liquid jet, pro- I, don't, I don't, it's, you know what, it's real science-y. Um, <laughs> but he did, the, he did have the first test flight for the specific type of, like, of rocket. And he was concerned that the Germans were going to steal the technology. Um, and I think even in later years, he claimed that they had. So that's what sparked it for me, is is him thinking that it was the possibility um, and me trying to, and then me playing with, well, what, what would happen if, if they had been trying to, if it hadn't been a complete secret and had gotten out.
0: So Cozy's can appeal to
1: STEM advocates as well as mystery <laughs> advocates. <laughs> exactly. And maybe somebody can explain the racket part of it much better than I just did. <laughs>
0: Now, jane is is working in in, a, in an official capacity as an undercover investigator as opposed to a, a pure miss marple type amateur who's drawn into an investigation for more personal reasons so and there, there's this kind of popular image of women uh, you, you can't see me making the air quotes back then um, not being employed in professional roles but in reality a lot of women had paid jobs, especially you know, during World War I. And they often kept those jobs after the war, especially in England where so many of the working age men had been, had been killed. Um, they even somewhat unkindly referred to them as surplus women. So what did you uncover about women's paid employment during uh, the, those interwar years that you found that was interesting in your research?
1: You know, it's one of the reasons I actually chose, um, to set my books in the 1920s is that I think that that interwar period is so interesting because women were pushing against those social boundaries. Um, and I think that's fun to play with. I think things went kind of, kind of went backwards, um, after world war II to a more tradition, more traditional roles, but like there was, there was a lot of women entering the workforce, um. And, and going out and partying and having sex and smoking and drinking and doing things that, you know, previous generations were pretty shocked by. Um, but I liked that, that it was a period where women were, were kind of pushing against the, the social constrictions of previous generations. Um, and that's kind of why I picked, it's one of the reasons I picked the twenties. Um, and I guess. I didn't I haven't you know I haven't come across anything super interesting as far as women's employment. Um I think you know they were they were entering pretty it's pretty what well, were still pretty traditional roles. um but I think it opened it up for me to be able to have Jane kind of do do this sort of thing. and I'm hoping hopefully she I can find a way to have her do it in a continue to to work in a less amateur, maybe slightly more professional capacity.
0: I do sometimes imagine some, you know, someone from the uh, Victorian or Edwardian era just kind of looking at, you know, who would have been kids in the twenties, uh, yelling whatever the Edwardian equivalent of get off my lawn was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so kids today don't actually change all that much from kids yesterday. <laughs> nope, not, not really. <laughs> but what one thing that has changed some. Uh, maybe not as much as we'd like but some is is the the significance of of social class and one thing that does come up in your story is the the different classes of of cabin on board the ship you yes. know these days you know we think of you know first business and economy on a on a plane but it doesn't really have much meaning other than who gets the overhead bins first but <laughs> right. back in the 20s i mean that really meant something you know the, the where your cabin was on the ship was a reflection of kind of where you were in life so how did that how did that um those social class distinctions which were really significant then how do you kind of use that to add to the maybe the tension of your story
1: um it was I did find this interesting was that um after the first world war so by the time this story takes place um some of the ships had sort of upgraded the second class and there was not really, there's not really steerage anymore. Like what would have been the third class um, before the war. So they had upgraded slightly for the lower classes and it was becoming more, um, I think a little cheaper for people to make those, those voyages. Um, But there still was a huge distinction between, even between second class and first class. Um, And frankly, the only reason Jane gets to use first class is because um, it was being paid for, for her. Cause she's not, um, does not come from wealth. Um, and I used it because um, one of uh, a couple of my characters actually um, were in the second class. So it was more difficult to locate them and there would have been stigma or, you know, like restrictions against them venturing into the first class area. So it did help add to tension to, you know, trying to find, trying to track down people in, in different parts of the ship.
0: And uh, another thing you did was sort of a two mysteries in, in one book and you've got the mystery of the missing husband. You've yep. also got the German spy aspect. So how do you, how do you blend the more traditional who done it with an espionage case that's more commonly thought of as a, maybe a suspense or a thriller?
1: Um, this was the first time, this was the first time I actually tried to do that. The other, the previous two books that had just been straight one mystery. Um, and I hope I pulled it off successfully, but um, it, it was kind of tricky, a tricky balance to make sure that you had enough elements of each that you didn't forget what was going on in either of the, uh, either of the storylines. Um, and I actually work with a freelance editor, um, Zoe King, and she she really helped me um, in revision. The revision process. She really helped me, like, um, pull those threads tighter and make sure that I had a had a good balance between those two those two storylines, um, and could really pick out like, hey, you're kind of, you know, in this part, like, we've kind of forgotten what's happening, so you need to, you know, pull those threads through here, and, um, and I think so that was really helpful for me.
0: Is her name was Zoe King.
1: Yep. Zoe Quinton King. She's a fantastic freelance editor.
0: So for anyone listening who needs a freelance, you've now had an endorsement. Yep. And sort of circling back a bit to the, fact that the story's action takes place on a ship, and you, you kind of touched on this, where you know having some characters in, in second class made them harder to find. You know, what other challenges did you face in having spies, missing people, and murder in what you know amounts to a very constrained uh, sort of geographic location? This, metal thing in the middle of the ocean. I know in your acknowledgement, she mentioned you had to make the crossing a little bit longer than it actually would have been in, in real life. Were there any other things you sort of had to tweak in order to have, you know, all these things going on in, in a small space, small, ish, small compared to the ocean space.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that was the only thing that I really, that I really struggled with was I did have to make, I did have to make it a little bit longer. Um, just for just for plotting um because it would have been seven days i believe that's how long at least that's how long i was on the ship um yeah i think that was the only the only issue um because like i said i like i enjoy working in in um within those constraints of a, a you know one space um i think it'll be actually be harder if i try to move on and write something where it's sprawling and can be anywhere
0: I guess you, you, uh, I mean, do you feel like you have sort of more control over what's happening if they're all in one space? Yeah. Hey, and uh, speaking of, of expanding, what's next for Jane Wonderly?
1: Well, um, I believe I am getting a contract for a couple more books. So that's exciting. And next, she will be going to Istanbul. Um, That will be, Book four will be in Istanbul. Intrigue in Istanbul is the working title right now. I've got a rough draft of it, and so I this spring we'll be working on that. Um, and after that, I think there will actually be a Christmas novella. Oh,
0: cool! Right? And, uh, do, you, do you think you'll have her travel for Christmas? I, I, it, it seems to be the uh, a theme to sort of maybe help readers vicariously visit all these exotic places.
1: Right, I think unfortunately for- unfortunately, but I think for a Christmas they'll be back in England um <laughs> but yeah, I think, and then going forward, even from there, I think after Istanbul, I think there's gonna I think I'm gonna go to maybe um a remote Scottish island, and then I'm thinking, um maybe somewhere here in the states like New Orleans after that,
0: oh New Orleans in the maybe late twenties, early thirties ought to be exciting,
1: interesting, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: And to sort of tie themselves over until Jane's next adventure, where can people buy a copy of Danger on the Atlantic?
1: Um, It comes out in March and they can buy it. Oh, boy. um, Any anywhere you're anywhere you're buying books, um, you'll probably be able to buy signed copies if you want from Boswell Books in Milwaukee. Um, if you go to their website, um, they're my local independent bookstore and, um, they always have signed books from me.
0: And, and where can we just connect with you to find out, uh, maybe, you know, well, what where Jane's to? headed next and what you're up to. And,
1: <laughs> um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. I have a Erica Ruth Neubauer author account. And also I would say probably on Facebook. I also have an author page, um, that they can connect to. And do you have a website you want to share? I do. It is it is EricaRuthNeubauer.com. That's N-E-U-B-A-U-E-R. Yes.
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join me today, Erica. Absolutely.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Erica Ruth Neubauer, author of Danger on the Atlantic, a Jane Wonderly Mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.